And welcome to episode 112 of Attention Plus with Arnabre. We are recording on the 27th of December 2020. I am Vikram Mohan, reminding you that all the podcasts from Forspire, they'll be on a break. Some of them already are and uh, we'll be back very early in 2021. So this would be a good time for you to re-listen to your old favorites from Attention Plus, WhatsApp Geeks and Binge On. Catch up on the episodes that you've uh, uh, missed. So... Uh, we will, of course, be back very soon uh, in 2021. And today, of course, we continue our yearly tradition during the week of Arnab's birthday. I think last year, Arnab, this was during on your birthday, last year or the year before. Uh, I think so, yes. Yes. I th- yeah. So, uh, this is where uh, he listens, uh, you, you know, uh, you answer uh, listener questions and uh, boy... Uh, I think uh, the listeners have uh, loads and loads of questions to ask you. So I'm not going to dilly-dally. And uh, usually I have an opening question for you. But this time the opening question is sponsored by AdSmiles. So AdSmiles wants to know your thoughts on the upcoming... Sponsored by? Not sponsored. Hold on. You just said sponsored. Yeah. Brought to you by, I meant to say. <laughs> Ad smile sends you. Okay. This, uh, yeah. yeah. Nobody's paying. Nobody's paying. Nobody's paying. Nobody's paying yeah. Oh no no. no. Uh, he is brought to you by Ad Smiles, uh, and uh, he or she asks your uh, thoughts on the upcoming, okay, ongoing India Australia Test series. So currently, what we just saw that the score is uh, 198 for five. We are trailing by three runs with uh, five wickets remaining. Where do you see this yes, test going raining. at the? Yeah, I would like to see India win. Yeah, I would, of course, like to see India win. But um, I, I am worried about um, Steve Smith scoring a century in this in the second innings because he's already made like what two ducks in this uh, in this series, and I just think that the law of averages is going to catch up with. And uh, do you think we're missing Kohli, the batsman? No, I think I don't think we are missing Kohli the batsman. Of course, Kohli is a very good batsman, and he's you know you technically do miss him, but I think that side played pretty well so far. Um, I don't think that Kohli would have made a huge difference. Maybe maybe he could have walked in place of Hanuma Vihari. Of course, he would be, but, but I think the side looks. I think Ajinkya Rahane's captaincy was like light years better than any any innings in which Kohli is the captain. For instance, I remember there was this uh, LVW shout uh, for Siraj and he kept on like jumping up and down and Ajinkya Rahane just like basically said, cut it out, you know, just cool down. There's, 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 there's no need to do it. It's not out. I have never seen Kohli being this decisive. And of course, Kohli is somebody who's incapable of telling other people to cool down because he's the most excited person <laughs> right. on, on the field. And I just think that as a captain, you just cannot do that. Um, it is the role of the captain. Otherwise, don't be a captain. It is the role of the captain. The captain is somebody who everybody looks up to, especially when you're a you know, you're a young player like Siraj who's playing his first test. If he sees the captain is also agitated, if the captain is also running towards the umpire, if, then then at that point of time, the, you know, there's a there's a lot of emotion associated with this. There's a lot of emotion in you know, playing for India. There's a lot of fear, I would think, for somebody who's playing his first test because 
of course you know that person is the most vulnerable to being omitted in the next test if that person doesn't uh, doesn't perform and in in these contexts it's very important for the leader to be somebody who has at least who at least radiates a level of calmness and a level of control with virat kohli there just doesn't seem to be uh, any kind of control he's a person who's totally out of control in terms of his own emotions um and i don't think that i don't i've never agreed with that express yourself no you cannot go out and express yourself if you're the captain no matter what you feeling inside and in, this is true for a captaincy on a cricket field as well as leadership in a company if your manager or if your if your manager is always on the verge of panic um you know that the one of the roles of managers and the higher up you go the the, the role is it's almost explicit that you know shit could be happening up above you might know what the balance sheet is you might know what's going on but if you you know if you let everybody who you lead you know imbibe that panic um then you're not a good leader so your role i mean if you're taking a leadership role in any company i would say your role is to manage um panic on both sides it's to prevent panic from the ranks uh going above and it's also to so you're kind of like an air gap of panic and that's what a, one of the characteristics of a good manager is that the manager can isolate uh people from any kind of panic uh so that people are working at their optimum best i don't think kohli does that and i think that uh, rahane does that much better so uh, arnab are you saying that we can't have a very passionate captain do passionate people no, not we, make we definitely captains? can have a passionate captain but the passion should be kept inside somebody who lets it all out isn't fit to be a captain or a leader in any way it's it's perfectly fine whether it be a cricket field or in the corporate world to have passion in your job uh, to believe in what you're doing uh, and again I, i i think that's it, it holds true for cricket it holds true for you know development software development product development many people are very passionate about the work that they do uh, they are passionate about their opinions they are passionate about the mission of the company they are passionate about their projects and that's absolutely fine I, i i think that i don't think anybody can be successful if they're dispassionate about what they do for uh, you know for most of their waking hours so i i think passion is absolutely fine but uh, there is a there is a there is a huge you know jump between having passion for something and then you know running and saying you know mcbc to everybody that's 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 any, that wouldn't be accepted in any corporate environment right so i don't know why it should be accepted right. on the cricket field either especially Speak because, because gemini- cricket field is a, is a corporate environment also in in this day and age absolutely okay so uh, just going back a little bit to the t20 i mean i know we've uh, beaten this to death i mean not just you but uh, a lot of have but i wanted to ask you about the impact of uh, uh ipl on test on test cricket not in terms of playability and all which of course you have spoken about but in terms of uh, the perceived lack of rivalry between the teams uh, because and I'm, uh, i'm just going back to this moment when uh, natrajan scored his first wicket and i could see somehow i don't know maybe it was just on my end but i could see that warner was very happy for him whereas this would not have happened uh, let's say 10 years ago and similarly again i'm not, i don't have any uh, uh, i don't have any uh, uh, i have not observed anything but is there a chance of let's say because I, because of ipl within the team any rivalries people carrying forward their ipl uh, uh, team jerseys so to speak on on the cricket field 
I coming to the first point, I think that's definitely true in the sense that before people didn't share the same dressing room. So whenever you played against each other, you were playing as rivals. So there was a lot of personal animosity. For instance, what happened between Harbhajan and Simons was a result of personal animosity. This was not just, you know, just good-natured ribbing as part of the game. This was personal animosity. And in those days before IPL, and I just, it's it's not a question of IPL, but whenever you have franchise cricket, when you have people, because ultimately it's about people. When you have people who always turn up for the same team, there is obviously... Uh, these are my teammates and these are the people outside. So this is, this is, this is, you know, pretty, pretty typical tribal behavior. Um, And that's why you cannot become a cohesive member of any kind of tribe or group until, unless you define an other, there is no notion of universal universal brotherhood if you have universal brotherhood the reason why it never works is because you cannot form a group based on universal brotherhood any group has to have a defining characteristic and any group has to have a defining anti-characteristic without these two you cannot define a cohesive group now with respect to cricket teams or with respect to any kind of team what has what has helped in a way, uh, is this this added edge that you've always had for the other guy because you've never shared the same dressing room as they have. So you don't tend to see them as people. You tend to see them as representatives of something else. You tend to see them as a representative of the opposing team. In case of Natarajan, again, I haven't seen that, so I can't really specifically comment on this specific instance. But as the captain of SRH, as a somebody who has seen Natarajan as a young person and, you know, a few months ago, so it's not a long time ago, there is obviously some kind of human connect with that person. And when you see that person succeed, you obviously, you are a human being, so you cannot feel resentful or you cannot then essentially become, oh, but this person isn't on my team right now. And that's just not the way the human mind works. So obviously this is, and people have commented on the fact that the edge to the India-Australia rivalry has has gone away, and I think it was Kohli or somebody who said that yes, there was there was always this this lack of understanding of each other's culture, um, and I think that of course with Kohli, you know, we have imbibed the Australian culture other than the other way <laughs> around. Uh, but in general, there was this there was this difference in cultures. I think I think in general, there's also been uh, there's also been I would say an equalization of culture in general as Asian countries have become more westernized. Because I remember Imran Khan, it was I think Imran Khan who once said that when he first took over the Pakistan cricket team, um, there was this attitude among Pakistani, all the players that they were somehow inferior to uh, the basically the white man. And like they would, they would basically tie their shoelaces. They would say, you know, tie my shoelace. And instantly the Pakistani guy would like bend down and start tying his shoelace. He said this, this was almost programmed. Really? You know? Yeah, he said if if I asked any if I asked any English player to tie my shoelaces, they would give me a you know sound swear, they would give me a sound send-off. But they would say, you know, can you tie my shoelaces? They wouldn't say it in a bad way. And the Pakistani guy immediately said, immediately would bend down and start tying his shoelaces. And he said, I had to tell them, no, you do not do that. You cannot do that. 
you in order for you to come off as a rival you have to be their equal now another thing which imran khan said he did was i don't know if i mentioned this before in my podcast was he said that um, they used to go to these post cricket games and where pakistanis all of them they used to wear like suits and right, they, yes. they didn't they didn't know how to wear Which a suit of course imran khan knows how to wear a suit so they would be they would look really ridiculous in those suits and so i said no you wear a sherwani that's it be proud whatever you can carry you wear something which you can carry if you can't carry a suit off if it's a suit is not tailored for your body and you don't know how to wear it i don't want you to wear it you should be proud of your sherwani and should wear it and treat the sherwani as being equal to a suit don't wear a suit if you can't pull it off and this 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 has always been this has been a very interesting dynamic and i think in general when the the generation that imran khan is talking about this is not this generation right you know this is not you know the the generation of kohli and they they're not that generation so i think it's also true for pakistan i don't think babar azam is 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 like that either so i or or or, or shoaib malik is like that so i think that part the cultural difference has kind of been bridged with the internet and with you know a, a, as we have progressed but i think this is i think definitely that i wouldn't say say just ipl because ipl is again where indians are involved but i think franchise cricket has kind of taken out that exclusive group membership so that everybody has played with everybody and i really don't think that you can get down to that level of nastiness like for instance megrad versus lara if you right. have played with that right. guy right if you if you know this guy if you know that i've played with this guy in a few months i'll be playing again with this guy it's not a question of i shouldn't do this you yourself will not be able to do it that's the main thing okay the next question i've i've no idea how i'm going to segue into this so i'm just going to come right out and <laughs> read out these questions uh, and i have no idea why these questions are coming to you either so this is from uh, somnath mukhopadhyay so the first question he asks is uh, if we really won the 1947 and 1965 war against pakistan then how come half of kashmir is still with pakistan so answer no, that arnab yeah answer that so first of all we didn't win the war there is first of all you have to understand that after 1945 after world war 2 there is nobody has ever won a war pretty much wars are no longer won can you say that us won vietnam can you say the us won iraq can you no they didn't win any of them did they win afghanistan no despite their superiority in everything they couldn't win any of those wars uh, ussr couldn't win in afghanistan either but so, people have lost we, wars though people <laughs> again the the fact with war post world war 2 i mean that day uh, i mean the era of germany basically rolling into paris and uh, we did have something like this in the 1971 war so since somnath doesn't mention 1971 we did roll into dhaka and we did make them sign an instrument of surrender so that was perhaps the last time that in the history of the world i, I would say that something like this has happened um with respect to the first two wars that you mentioned of course india didn't win any of those wars those wars ended in the kind of stalemate that israel's war with with the neighboring states usually end with so it usually ends with somebody making movement into in 
into the other land and then uh, for instance with israel it was golem heights you know take this and keep it in that respect they win but really nobody really wins wins anymore with the united nations and with the superpowers uh-huh. nobody wins and even the superpowers don't win actually in this day and age so with 1947 and 1965 what exactly do you mean by win um, could we have taken kashmir no we couldn't have taken kashmir because in 1947 pakistan essentially took kashmir to the to where you know the line of control stands this was a time when india was barely a country it was just coping with its you know birth pains at that point of time so uh, pakistan went in and took pok so we never technically had it i mean we might draw our map to show that it's there but since 1947 we've never held that place so let's just be realistic on this so this question the basic premise of this is i would say flawed we never held that place even once after we were independent maybe a few weeks we never really held it so pakistan respectively always controlled that place now why did pakistan why couldn't we have taken it in 1971 yes that was the time when we could have taken it that was the time when uh, we had an overwhelming superiority in terms of our victory and the reason why we didn't take it as simple it's been chronicled by historians is indira gandhi didn't let that happen indira gandhi basically um, gave up uh, our gave up the upper hand in the simla accord and apparently the reason why she gave that up was because uh, bhutto told her that if she basically made um if 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 she forced her case and took away kashmir and basically made pakistan swallow a humiliating uh, treaty um, uh, something basically made pakistan give up all its rights to kashmir then he would be dead and the pakistani army would take over which any case they did and then bhutto after that went back and started working on the pakistani nuclear bomb so effectively indira gandhi was fooled and when i say indira gandhi i don't mean her personally only i mean her and the ifs and is and ifs mostly uh, and and the other are wise men who who become our rulers by basically passing an exam on history and and, and other things <laughs> got nothing to do with what they ultimately end up doing but people who basically mugged up you know history or urdu or sanskrit or hindi or bengali or science you know these are the guys who you know basically pass an exam and you put them up against you know a bhutto and say all right you guys decide uh, what the fate of history is going to be and so obviously this was going to happen so we were we won the war right. but then we were outmaneuvered in the during the simla accords that's why we couldn't take a kashmir goes on to ask why our central government didn't do anything during a kashmir hindu massacre well at that point of time we didn't first of all this is a this is a very big topic why why they didn't do anything one of the reasons why they didn't do anything you know it's very it, it's it's kind of easy i mean the simplest the simplest ex- answer and which i'm pretty sure many people are expecting to hear is because it was the congress Uh, you know they don't care for hindu so they allowed it to happen this is the simplistic answer which which in a tweet gets a lot of retweets very popular idea but it is not entirely true the fact is that there are many reasons why uh, they quote and quote allowed this to happen 
One thing was, of course, because it was Congress. That's that's true. But then there was this genuine lack of knowledge at that point of time of what was going on on the ground. This was not an age of you know. This is not today. So there was a genuine there was a genuine incompetence. There was uh, the kind of trust, and this unfortunately comes back to. Um, more less of the Congress and more of the Gandhi family is their trust in other dynasts, specifically the Abdullahs. So it comes down to a lot of factors. One of it is that if we do something, this will weaken the Abdullahs. Okay, who have who have for and one of the biggest best things that the Modi government has done is they have closed the Abdullah's shop. The shop that these guys have been running for decades as being the interlocutors um, and basically, essentially, you know, taking a cut from either side. Their business, it's very essential for any solution, lasting solution to Kashmir is to decimate the Abdullahs and all these families that have come to essentially symbolize, you know, kind, kind of kind of come as a middleman. So that's the reason, that's one of the reasons. And again, I have a lot of questions. And honestly, I, in, in order for me to give a full answer to this, I have to do a lot of reading also. Now, this is based on what I have understood, based on the very limited reading that I have on the topic as to why the Pandit genocide happened in Kashmir. It, they didn't know of it. Secondly, they were afraid that, and they did send Jagmohan. So he was, you know, well, he wasn't a weak guy. So, it, but it was the fact that the Congress pretty much decided to let keep the Abdullahs effectively in charge. And the Abdullahs are a combination of incompetent and, you know, like any politicians, they are, of course, in it for in themselves. So they did what was in their best interest, but it was obviously not in the best interests of the Hindus who were who were settled there. All right, we have a, a couple more uh, political questions. This is from Rock Rider. So the first one is uh, I didn't know about this, but uh, he wants your views on Pranab Mukherjee's new book, and mentions that after Obama, another ex-president has written on Manmohan and Sonia's Congress. Have you read? I his haven't. Book? No, I haven't read uh, Pranab Mukherjee's book. So okay. I can't comment on that. So the next one, of course, this I'm sure you have a, a, quite a bit to talk about. Uh, he asks uh, about the impact of exorcism leaders to BJP, the emergence of Didi as the potential rap singer with her special Nada Chadda Gadha <laughs> rap. And uh, also wants to know if president's rule is a must for a free and fair election in uh, West Bengal. So let's start with the first one about the exodus of TMC leaders to BJP. So the, the thing is that at any point of time, if we first have to understand that Trinamool Congress is a party that has nothing in terms of ideology, unlike this Communist Party of India, which nominally is pretty, had a pretty strong ideology. The BJP also has an ideology. The Trinamool Congress has no ideology. Its only ideology is the belief that uh, I would say that Mamata Banerjee is the greatest Renaissance figure to have been produced. By Bengal. Other than that, and other than you know that Mamata Banerjee is the greatest and 
uh, Abhishek Banerjee, her nephew, is the second best. I don't think there is any kind of fundamental underlying belief that anybody has in. And so over the past few years, under Prashant Kishore, um, Trinamool Congress has kind of uh, made some kind of strategic outreach. So they have, besides, of course, their uh, minority appeasement, um, they've also reached out to you know Hindus. They have tried to do that. They've done like Go Puja and stuff, which... Um, uh, and they have also, uh, I would say, they have they have tried. They they have tried under under. There was a, a few years ago. I think the the common perception was that Didi has become very uh, and arrogant. She doesn't talk to people. So they kind of re, you know had like a reach out to Didi. You can go and talk. Whatever it was also of course a PR stunt, but there was with respect to the last elections, there was some kind of self-reflection and the Trinamool Congress realized that, okay, things aren't going that well. Now, given the fact that there still isn't, so, and and, and the next, and the last thing that the Trinamool Congress has tried to do is they've kind of promoted a kind of, uh, this is reminiscent of Shiv Sena in its prime, but a kind of soft to hard Bengali parochialism that used to be um, an exclusive prerogative of a of a party called Amra Bangali uh, when we were growing up, but that Trinamool Congress has kind of adopted. So if you see, you see Mamata Banerjee in a speech is talking about outsiders, She's talking about so outsiders. How do you know they're outsiders? Well, anybody who doesn't speak Bengali well is considered to be an outsider, even though there have been people from Bihar who have settled in Bengal for for decades, for generations. So. Before that, when she was looking for, so this whole notion of outsider is 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 based on where she believes that the core base of BJP lies. Um, with respect to the MPs going over to uh, over, the, first of all, you have to understand that pretty much all of these MPs have been implicated or have had some some connection with the Sharada scam. So. The fact is, Amit Shah has basically a big sword which is hanging over all of their heads. And as it happened with Mukul Roy, you know, once they join BJP, all of that goes away. So that is a big thing. And in a way, you can say that, you know, you know, TMC is reaping the reaping the I wouldn't say the benefits, but the effects of its own actions. That because all of these people are effectively in the dragnet of investigative authorities, this gives very naturally. And of course, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, of course, it's a bad thing. You know, when when a, when a political party uses uh, you know open cases as leverage, <laughs> so there's there's nothing to be happy about this in terms of of of. Indian democracy, but this this really works, what it comes down to. So it's not just a question of, you know, creature benefits that, um, first of all, the BJP brings with it a war chest, which is unparalleled. Of course, um, the Bengal, by its very nature, I mean, okay, Mamata Banerjee controls Bengali industry, and therein, therein is the joke. Uh, so, of course, they, she, you know, she, in terms of the amount of money that they have, they, she's obviously, uh, you know, this, this it's, it's, it's basically like <clears throat> Mohammed Chami facing bad comments. Uh, there, there, there's no contest here. So, of course, given the amount of money that the BJP is bringing in, 
given the amount of uh, influence that Amit Shah has by virtue of his control over these people, um, you know, what do you expect? Of course, they're going to defect at this point of time. They're just doing it to preserve themselves. Does it necessarily mean right. that the BJP is winning? I don't think so. It, BJP is definitely going to get a lot of seats, but is it going to come back as I mean, are they going to put a chief ministerial candidate? I don't think so. The, the fact that they're leaving does not necessarily imply that Mamata Banerjee is losing. But it just goes to show that um, that that these people there's a there's a good reason why and they they cannot stay in the TMC anymore because obviously Mamata Banerjee cannot provide them that level of protection from prosecution that Amit Shah can. I mean, ultimately Mamata Banerjee tries. She tries to prevent CBI from coming into the state. She tries to prevent any authority from Delhi from coming into the state. But there is only a certain limit to which that can you know she she can only go this far. If that guy ever leaves Bengal, then that protection goes out and he can be, you know, called in at any point of time. So, of course, they realize, you know, you know what, at this point of time, I'm <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that Amit Shah will be able to do much more for me than Mamata Banerjee is going to be able to do. In any case, I don't believe in either them or, you know, there's no notion of belief. I don't believe. I mean, if you look at all these guys, all of them were like came from CPM or Congress. So as it is, it's not that they were organically part of Thinamul in any case. So they just go where they feel that their best interests are served. And right now, their best interests are served by being with the winner. You know, the the guys who have won everywhere else. Staying in the same lane, Anand asks you, uh, what is your about your opinion on Bappi Lahiri in politics and why did he flop? About who in politics? Bappi Lahiri. I didn't even know he was in politics. Yeah, Bappi yeah, yeah, Lahiri was a BJP candidate a few elections ago. Of course, I mean, who? Mm, mm, oh, right. They, they, yes, yes. So again, there's no there's no support for no nobody knows who Babilari is. And Babilari is I mean you can't really take him seriously as a politician. And as, as we used as there's an example of BJP's lack of strategy in Bengal. When you know a few years ago, before before of course, you know, Modi became Modi under under Mr. Advani and and all the other worthies. They didn't take Bengal seriously. I mean, if any party takes Bengal seriously, why would you lead with PC Shortcut, the magician, and Bapi Lahiri, the singer, uh, music director? I mean, how could you have these people as the face of your of your party if you're serious about a state? So obviously they were not serious. Bapi Lahiri was just was just the face of the not a face. I, I would hesitate to call him a face, but uh, he he was a, he was a candidate at that point of time. I mean, of course, he's no longer anymore. Is is Mithun a player in? I mean, does he have political inclinations? Uh, Mithun Chakravarti actually does. I've always been surprised that Mithun Chakravarti hasn't taken the plunge. He was. He was a Trinamool Congress um, MP for a while, so of course he started out of his li- he started out his life as a Naxalite. Um, he is he, he apparently, as the legend goes, that he was he was on the verge of being arrested and being thrown into the slammer or being basically encountered at that point of time. If you remember, this was before Mitun was Mitun, so he ran away to Bombay, so essentially in escape from being killed, and there in Bombay he became Shiv Sena, believe it or not. Uh, Yes. And then after he came back, after the Bombay thing was over and he went back to, I think he was a political for a while. And then he was a Trinamool Congress MP initially. Um, I 
and then after some time he quit in you know, citing ill health but i think he also i, I think he I exactly don't know what was going on, but I, I'm pretty sure Ill, Ill health wasn't the reason. Um, I think that there was some kind of disillusionment with what, what was going on inside the party and uh, Mithun Chakravarti left. Again, Mithun is not somebody who's, from what I know of, he's not a guy who's, I mean, of course, he, you know, like anybody, he wants money, and but he's not, he's not that motivated in like getting money by hook or by crook. I mean, there's, he has a certain image that he wants to live up to. And so he got into, I mean, at some point of time, I think he, I, I'm not think he's naive enough to know that, not know that what the Tinamul Congress, you know, what is it, what it is. But I think at some point of time, he had some lines and those lines were crossed essentially. And so he quit Tinamul Congress. Uh, I think he's no longer an active member also of Tinamul Congress. He doesn't come out in support uh -huh. of any of the, the events or anything. So I think he's fairly apolitical. So I was hoping that BJP was going to pick him up, um, but they didn't. Um, it's very difficult for them to pick him up also because Bhutan Chakravarti is at his heart, I would say still very, very, from what I understand, he's still very, his core belief is Naxalite. So I don't think that changed. Oh, uh, okay. Before we move on from uh, politics, Fortune Pen asks, uh, if you start a political party, what would it stand for? So if I signed a political party, it would, sta it would stand for, uh, first of all, it would stand for a true economic conservatism. So um, it would ensure that the government, it's not, it was not be libertarian, but it would ensure that the government only invest in those things in which the government should invest in, in terms of, yes, public infrastructure, uh, definitely, we should be investing in railroads in places in which private industry cannot operate. So if there are routes in which uh, there is no private incentive to operate trains, then the government should be operating trains there because the government has a social purpose. The government has a role to link every part of the country. So it might not be financially viable for private players to essentially, let's say, uh, run trains to the furthest corners of the of India. That's where the government should set it, step in. If there are places in which electrification requires, because there is no uh, market demand for electrification, that's where the government should invest. But the government should not be running um, trains from Delhi to Calcutta. That's not the government's role. It's not the government's role to be running Air India. It's not the government's role. It used to be you know, run hotels. Um, these are not things which the government is meant to do. The government is meant to provide a base level of services throughout the country. And that's it. So really... Not compete with the private enterprise. No, not compete with private enterprise in places where the government just cannot compete with the private, with private enterprise. So that would be one thing. Um, again, with respect to healthcare, this is where I, I differ because in, in healthcare, as I've said before, it is not a question of choice. When you decide, when you're having a heart attack, um, you do not have the choice to decide, well, should I go to this hospital or should I go to that hospital? You don't, right? It is not the same as uh, making your travel arrangements or deciding which hotel right. you will stay in. So these are not the similar kinds of, of, of choices. So, of course, there are certain places in which the government, where you really don't effectively have a choice, where the government has to provide an option. But there are places in which you have choice. 
and there the government should not be doing should not be investing so it would be a truly it would be truly a power a party of limited government truly not what bjp is which it isn't <laughs> there's no difference between the bjp right. and marginal difference perhaps between you know between upa and and and, and nda so a truly a true economic right wing uh, or party the second thing that it would do is my party would i mean it, it i wouldn't say that my party wouldn't be corrupt because honestly there is no way that a political party could run without corruption so there has there will be a base level of corruption anybody who says it's not corrupt like you know arvind kejriwal well, you can see what, what what he becomes so anybody who says main main corrupt nahi hu is you can be 100% sure that that person is corrupt so it, there has to be some level of pragmatism um so of course uh, the, the, this party will be as corrupt as anybody else my political party but because you know you need to have money to run a political party so of course uh, that will be obviously be there but with respect to economy i said with respect to um, you, you know quote and quote secularism it would be a party which would be in my in my definition truly secular in the sense that it would treat everybody equally um the the whole punching up punching down thing no that is not something which my party would believe in every every religion everybody would be treated in exactly the same way and in general the government would keeping in accordance with the principle of the government being minimal would try not to interfere in any religious in any religion so it's not that i will let some religions run their religious institutions and then interfere in some other religions which is what happens in india um that will cease the government will effectively not interfere in the religious working of any institution um the government would be very very minimal it would only work on things of public interest there would be minimal uh, government interference in terms of censorship in terms of any kind of moral policing or legislation the government does not exist to be your papa okay if you if you are concerned that your kids are growing up the wrong way it's your problem it's not the government's so the government will not there will be no censor board there will be nothing of the sort so again limited role of the government massive massive cuts in terms of what the government does and of course hopefully that would also lead to reduction in taxes so i think we, we i'm voting for it taxes and we pay for a lot of shit that we shouldn't have to pay for so let's move from uh, politics to some questions which ask uh, let's say about you uh, as a person so nishan dholakia asks uh, this is of course this can be your entire biography but he wants to know what are your key influences uh, and the way he phrased it was how did you become what you are and uh, he goes on to ask one thing you say is you friends and it comes as a do you seek intellectual stimulation uh, stimulation from friends or anything in particular that you don't seem to get i'm not sure i understood the second half of the question can you repeat uh, the, uh, because the audio also broke up so Okay uh, let's start with the first one uh, who are your key influences when growing up well, my father i would say i mean with, without getting into like without talking about mithun chakravarti and everybody else which people know i mean mostly my father because in terms of um, 
I, I wanted to be like my father um, in terms of writing, in terms of the way he is, you know, heard as 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 a teacher, as somebody who explains difficult concepts in an easy way. So I would say, my if I had to pick one name, my my father would be an influence. My mother was also an influence in a way, not so much as a direct influence, but I am more my mother than I am my father in many ways. It's a good or bad thing. I don't know, possibly bad. But um, in terms of, uh, you know, a lot more aggressive than my father. For any of you who have been his students, you would know this. I'm a lot more aggressive in terms of, you know, dealing with people in terms of dealing with life than my father is. I'm a much, you know, I'm a more a go-getter. I'm I'm more ambitious. So that kind of, um, and I think I, uh-huh. I I I think I ma- I think I maneuver my way better than my dad does. But and those things are again things which I got from my mother. So I would say it's my father and my mother are my biggest influences. And this is a cliche, but it is. I consciously fo- wanted to follow my father. But subconsciously, I think I ended up following my mother a lot. Interesting. So the, the, the second part, of course, is let me read it out again. He says that one thing that you said is you don't have any friends. You don't have friends and it comes as a surprise to him. So uh, he goes on to ask, do you seek intellectual stimulation from friends or anything in particular that you don't seem to get? No, uh, the problem with friends is that ultimately... so. There are many reasons why I can't maintain friendships. One thing is just, just the fact is, for me, I'm not good at small talk. So until unless, so once, you know, for, for people who I grew up with in school or in college, until unless they share the same kind of interests that I do, I really don't have anything to talk to them on. So. Their friends is in okay. I will send them a you know I'll send them a happy birthday uh, message on 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 WhatsApp. But that's about it. I mean, it's not that that person is my enemy, but you know that person is my friend either. He used to be a friend at one point of time. There's no explicit reason why he's not a friend, but I wouldn't consider him a friend. Um, the other thing is people who I have bonded over the last um, I would say fifteen to twenty years with, since I graduated from. You know, you know, places where I used to have a lot of friends. I mean, you make friends like this only when you're in school, essentially. So after that, what's happened? I mean, people, friends, friendships that I've made through my blog, you know, most of them are big. essentially something or the other usually happens for which that friendship no longer stays a friendship. And it usually has to do with, you know, some kind of political thought. And since I'm very out there and since I have opinions on everything, it's very likely that one of my opinions will end up being diametrically opposite to what somebody believes in, in terms of the multitude of opinions that I have. And as somebody who's a centrist, since I have opinions which are not aligned uh, with respect to any kind of ideology, consistently not aligned with any kind of ideology, it's highly likely that something I said or will, will ultimately end up pissing you off. So... So that's the reason why I find that I cannot maintain friends. And that's why I do not have friends. And then I've reached a stage where I don't even try to make friends in that respect. I mean, I'd like to have acquaintances. I would like to have conversations. And this is, and that's why I love the podcast, because it allows me to have a conversation with so many of you and not know you. (laughs) 
So <laughs> there's no there's no disappointment in somebody not living up to the ideals that I have set for him, and there's no disappointment on your part either. You can decide to unsubscribe to the podcast. That's it. That's the level, and I will not know it. So that's the good thing. That's why I prefer these kind of interactions than the more let's say normal ways of interacting, which is more like person to person. Okay, Sam uh, wants to know what would have happened if your parents decided to not go back to India. Um, what would have happened if my parents had decided not? I don't know. I would have. Uh, I mean, would, I would it have, have made a much of a difference? No, of course it would have made a much of a difference. It would have made a lot of a difference because I wouldn't have any connection with India at that point of time. So my parents, when they, I mean, if they had, I would have grown up to be American. There would have been no podcast. There would have been no Midun Chakravarti. There would have been no Gunda. I mean, all of this happened because my parents moved back to India. So it's very difficult to even answer that question. I would be a totally different person. I would have had different kinds of life life experiences. I would have had a different accent. I would have uh, you know, done a lot of different things. I wouldn't have been this person at all. I think growing up in India has, has shaped me. I mean, I, I feel again. I am very Indian. in terms of who i am i i see people here who have been here for 3 or 4 years and and they are much more american than i am um so yeah i mean I, whatever i am is because i grew up in india i don't think i would have been this person if i had grown up in us I, i mean i would have taken a very different i would have taken a very different career i don't think i would have gone into computer science or doing anything close to what i'm doing now if i had not been in india if i had just been If I just studied in the US, just been uh-huh. in the US, I would have possibly done something totally different. I don't know what exactly it is, but maybe it would have been worse. But it would definitely not be what I'm doing today. It would definitely not be me. I like this next question from uh, Fortune Pen, and again, uh, this is, I think this came in on Twitter. So he asks, uh, what or who makes you laugh? One sitcom or author and uh, stand-up. And uh, the reason I mean uh, this. question intrigue me is for somebody who's so funny i remember one of the earlier episodes you mentioned that you don't particularly like stand up or uh, uh, even sitcoms uh, in general right right so um in terms of sitcoms wait there are some sitcoms which i do love i do love yes minister i do love yes prime minister i do love some of the you know the british comedies like faulty towers in the 80s and are you being served i mean some of them are slapstick and perhaps you know they might not have aged particularly well um, there was a time at which i used to like friends also uh, in the 90s but again i now now when i see friends i realize that hasn't aged well um, at all surprisingly yes friends hasn't aged aged well unlike i mean, I, would, i would say seinfeld has aged well i still uh, like watching seinfeld but not friends so i like it's not that i don't like watching sitcoms which are funny like i like uh, curb your enthusiasm uh, i follow it i've seen yes. all the seasons seen all the episodes Uh, so it's not that I don't like it. I don't like stand-up comedy um, in general. Of course, when I say I don't like stand-up comedy, I don't like stand-up. First of all, I hate Indian stand-up comedy. Hate it. I haven't seen one guy who is even mildly funny um, in any shape or form. Um, and not only that, their derivative. And I, and since I follow stand-up comedy, I can see where they are taking their material from. Also, so it's not original and. it's also unfunny and as i've said before sometimes they copy things without even understanding what they're copying yes yes without exactly. understanding the cultural context of what what it is they're copying they listen to bilber or they listen to say ah mujhe bhi ye karna hai 
तो दैट इज दैट इज सो आई आई डोंट टेक देम सीरियसली एट ऑल आई डोंट फॉलो आई डोंट लिसन टू देम ओके दे दे आई एम प्रीटी श्योर दे आर वेरी गुड दे आर वेरी पॉपुलर आई आई एम आई श्योर अबाउट दैट बट इट्स देयर नॉट फॉर मी विद रिस्पेक्ट टू स्टैंड अप कॉमिक्स इन द यूएस आई डू लाइक सम लाइक फॉर इंस्टेंस सम सम ऑफ देन नॉट सो मच एज बिकॉज़ दे आर फनी बट बिकॉज़ दे आर एबल टू से थिंग्स व्हिच मेनी पीपल आर नॉट एबल टू से एज I would say as political and social commentators more than Dave anything. Chappelle maybe yes so Dave Chappelle one of them of course uh Dave Chappelle Chris Rock so these two people I I I really enjoy um watching their routines um I do enjoy Saturday night live uh, I regularly follow Saturday night live I followed Saturday night live um for almost like when I came to the US in 99 and I started you know following saturday night live about like since 2001 so it's almost been 20 years that i have been following saturday night live and i generally like saturday night again it's not stand up comedy by the way these are skits um so yeah there's a lot of stuff that i like it's just that i don't like i don't like stand up comedy per se so i would rather watch curbio enthusiasm than possibly watch a larry david stand up performance in general i would rather i'm not a huge fan of seinfeld by the way i've seen some of the episodes i find they're okay they're not i just don't get what's and perhaps because they have been overhyped and maybe my my standard is like way high when i'm watching and i definitely don't like let's say jerry seinfeld's stand up oh, no uh, the stand up like, yeah the way i mean the uh, Gobier enthusiasm for example is way better than uh, than than Seinfeld was because yes. you have more of Larry than uh, uh yes than uh, Jerry okay yes. so fortune again continues on us i think I, i know the answer to this but marvel or dc so over the years um so f- when i first started off i like even 10 years ago i didn't i couldn't didn't know marvel from dc honestly but over the past 10 years i've become like i wouldn't say a you know a, a the kind of comic reader comic geek that you get in the us but i have a significant quite a good comic collection as of now so i'm not just talking about um marvel or dc in terms of their cinematic adaptations i'm talking about um the comics so as an example um if you liked avengers end game you should definitely read the infinity gauntlet which is the comics on which it is based which is a far 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 better story than avengers um it is a far better far more imaginative a far more expansive i mean when you read it you are sometimes awed by not just by the art which is awe inspiring i mean some of those panels give you more awe than anything you would see in endgame just somebody drawing something um and the and the story behind you know why thanos is going after those stones what those stones actually are and in the comics the way he gets those stones is very different and they're much better uh, how he gets those stones um how he tricks each of those elders to give him those stones then then there is in the in in the movies in the movies you don't you can't tell one stone from the other why 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 what's the what's the special thing about the blue stone versus the purple stone in the comics you realize what, what exactly each of those stones are and you understand why those stones exist um 
it's a way, way better story. Now, coming back to the question of Marvel versus DC, in general, if you DC is not, I mean, I started off my life, my favorite character is Joker. I have Joker memorabilia everywhere in my house. But DC just does a much shittier job of, of managing its uh, intellectual property than Marvel does. Over the years, I mean, Marvel reminds me of Mumbai Indians and DC reminds me of <laughs> Kings 11 Punjab. I didn't even say KKR. I said Kings 11 Punjab intentionally. So they, like, for instance, if you look at, it's a very simple thing. If you look at omnibus editions. So omnibus editions, they take all their greatest hits and they bring out these you know, omnibus editions. Marvel, you pick up an omnibus edition. It just feels so nice. It's so well bound. Everything is so good. Pick up a DC omnibus edition. It looks like it, it was like something that, you know, somebody in Tinamul Congress ministry put it together and like West <laughs> Bengal so-and-so data 2020 on it and shipped it out. I'm exaggerating, of course, but DC has just this, I mean, DC had very, very good IP, but DC was I, over the, and even when I read DC, I mean, unless it's Batman and some of elements in the Batman universe, nothing really stands out. But, but Marvel has something for everyone. If you like things at the universe and at the cosmic scale, there is the whole Silver Surfer and the, you know, and you have the thing and you have this whole everything like alternate universes, creation. There's a guy called, you know, there's eternity. There are, there's Galactus who eats, you know, galaxies. There's that kind of thing. If you want to have like um, very very DC kind of things where you have a hero and you have a set of very magnificent villains, there's Spider-Man. You have Spider-Man and the Sinister Six, which is very similar to Batman and Joker and Penguin and all of those. Things. Who's your favorite though? Who's your favorite uh, superhero? Uh, my favorite superhero is very difficult. My favorite superhero, believe it or not, is a guy called Silver Surfer. Oh, okay. From from the uh, uh, four, the Fantastic Yes. So Silver Surfer, he's not part of that, but Silver Surfer is a character there. Silver Surfer is a very, very, very deep, conflicted person. It's a very, very complicated person. It, you normally, if you look at a guy who's basically a, a guy in a silver coating, you can't take that guy seriously who's on a surfboard. But it's a very, very serious character in terms of, it, it's as conflicted as Batman. Actually, the conflict there is much... I would say much better realized than it's for Batman. So it's a strange person to like, but I really like Silver Surfer. I like whenever he's he's in a panel. Um, I like Joker, of course, in terms of villain. I like Joker and I like Thanos. Thanos is in, in the comics is a way more complicated character than he is in 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 in, in the movies. For instance, one of the things about Thanos is Thanos tries to control the universe in many times, and every time he essentially leaves a bug in his own scheme so that somebody else can find it out and destroy him. And that's something which uh-huh. Vision kind of realizes that, you know, he could have he could have essentially destroyed the universe thrice over, but every time he almost intentionally leaves something out. And at one point of time, Silver Surfer actually tells, tells Thanos that, that let me tell you something about yourself. You yourself don't believe in what you try to do. Fundamentally. And Thanos says, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, 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 so again, and, and again, if you want to have these very gritty 
kind of Batman, gritty, noir. Then there's Daredevil. Marvel has Daredevil. So Marvel basically covers a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of sub-genres. And I don't, just don't find that in DC, for instance. I mean, DC has tried. DC has tried to do all of these things. But they always seem to come up with it after Marvel does. And I think Marvel just does a better job of it. I mean, DC is good, but Marvel is far better. Once And again, when I started off like 10, 12 years ago, I thought Marvel was like for kids and DC was like for adults. For real. Right. And now I realize, eh, not really. Okay. King Lear asks, uh, and the, the, okay, this is strange, especially, but uh, apt question for uh, Christmas, I guess. Do you like the Die Hard movies and franchise? I used to like the Die Hard movies uh, what, once upon a time till John McClane essentially became indestructible. I mean, John McClane in the, in the, in the later installments, he's like no different than Wolverine. He falls from an aircraft and like, he's okay. So the, the thing about, I used to, I, I, I love the first movie. And the reason why I love the first movie is because he's so vulnerable throughout that movie. I mean, he's he's struggling with the fact that he doesn't have his shoes. There's small things, right? And 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 the great right. thing about yes. see, when it gets into the Diehard three, Diehard four, he's fucking falling off a helicopter onto it, and he just get, gets up and starts fighting. At that point of time, this is not John McLean. This is some kind of video game. You're you're basically somebody else is playing a video game and you're watching it. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed Die Hard Part One. I like Die Hard Part Two. I even kind of like Die Hard Part Three too. Kind of. But there's nothing. Uh, three can... was uh, the bank robbery. The one with Samuel L. Jackson, where they had. The... Okay, okay, that was three. Yeah, I like that too. Yes, yes, with the racial strife uh, undercurrent, that was really good in the beginning. And... Yeah, where he wears a sandwich board in uh, uh, in the beginning, and he. Yeah, the second right one is the one where the, they have this hijacking on the plane. That's the plane, yeah. All right, okay. I'm losing track of the Die Hard movies. I think, yeah, like you said, now there have been what? There's a fourth one, which was terrible. And I think there's a fifth one, which is coming up. No, no, there the were fourth, six, I think, totally. Okay, so the, fourth one had, the fourth one is the one that had the... That had the Jeremy Brett. Impact. No, no. And everything. Oh, okay, that, that was that one. Okay, yes, 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 yes. Okay. I'm losing track of which one. Then there was one with uh, the entire US uh, internet, uh, you know, uh, they have this exploit or something like that. Yeah, that that's the one that I'm talking about. That's, I think, okay. four. I that's don't four. think I saw after four. I think I, I lost it at that point of time. <laughs> okay. So we're going to do a rapid fire now. Wait, wait. Uh-huh. There's one more asking about you. Asking Somik Sengupta asks, uh, have you ever considered entrepreneurship in the US or India? No, man. I Again, have I considered entrepreneurship? So if, it, if you're talking about a tech startup, then absolutely not. Um, because honestly, I don't have, I'm not that smart. I don't have an original idea. Um, I am not excited about, you know, ideas that other people have done. I'm not smart enough to come up with a technological idea on my own. I am not, uh, you know, a, a great in coding um, compared to the people that I've seen, which gives me a totally huge inferiority complex. So um, I cannot, you know, build systems in the way that they do. So in terms of entrepreneurship, technological entrepreneurship, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty average uh, there. Um, in terms of entrepreneurship in India, yeah, of course, I've, 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 I, I want to do something. I have been trying to do something on that. And 
uh, I don't know. I mean, it's the the, the podcast wasn't it wasn't it, but but, but um, yeah, I'm I'm trying. I'm hopefully trying to move to move into video, and let's see. Um, I haven't thought of like when, whenever I think of entrepreneurship. Um, I took a two day course once on entrepreneurship. Yes, that's the level of knowledge that I have, by the way. Um, so there needs to be some kind of business plan. There needs to be some kind of, hey, here's what it's cost. Here's the revenue. Here's how, what's the most you can gain out of it. Here's the market size. So I don't really know anything about the market size of podcasts or you know how much I can gain. So I would hesitate to even call this entrepreneurship. This is kind of, uh, let's see what works kind of Man, thing that I'm doing. This is your monkey bath. This is my monkey bath, yes. Okay, so uh, uh, in fact, uh, there, there was one question about... Uh, you know, you're, you're moving to video, but we'll come. And then quite a few questions about, you know, you as a content creator and you as an as a writer. But before that, uh, we're going to do a, you know, a rapid fire. People have asked for your recommendations on various ways, on various things. So uh, Vishwaraj asks for uh, your favorite uh, suspense novels. So again, these these are these questions are difficult if they're rapid fire. So uh, let's see. We are rapidish. Think about it. <laughs> so so uh, there's a book that I read this year that I really liked. It's called "I'm Thinking of Ending Things." So they made a Netflix. There's there's a movie based on it by in, in Netflix. So I I haven't seen the movie, but the book is actually brilliant. It's just brilliant writing. Um, it's it's, I wouldn't say it's a mystery. It's kind of a psychological thriller. There's a twist at the end. The twist at the end isn't particularly, isn't particularly like, oh, fuck, I never saw that coming. No, if you if you read this kind of books, the, the twist was, again, this is perhaps true for me. And nowadays I can see most twists. So the twist was you know, telegraphed, at least to me, a long time ago. But it's just the way the author put it together, the way he pulled it off. I think that was, that was very well done. There's another book that I always like to uh, recommend. This is a book which whose twist I did not see coming. Um, it's called Blackwater Lily. And that's a, that's a, it's a conventional mystery. It's a conventional mystery. It's written by a French author. It's very, very romantic, sappy romance at the end. Suddenly it becomes at the end. But it's otherwise it's a very good mystery. It's very well written, and that no, I did not see that twist. So um, these are the you know rapid fire. These are the two. I mean, I, I'm not going for the standard ones right. that everybody knows. That's why I chose these two. And uh, Vaibhav partly asks for uh, uh, psychological horror novels. Psychological horror novel. See, it's very. Um, trying to. Oh, okay. So the turn of the screw. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's the PDF is freely available. I think it's, so read Turn of the Screw. It is an amazing book uh, in terms of psychological horror. It is an amazing book because it's a very short book, by the way. It's very difficult to understand. The sentences, like, it's, it's a very old book. The sentences, like, go on for a page. Like, actually, one sentence, like, rolls on for a page. And you would think, how is this a good book? But based on the fact that the person who is, who is, giving you the story is an unreliable narrator that the, 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 the structure of the sentence actually adds to the psychological complexity of the book. It's not, if somebody was very lucid in telling you things and there was no room for misinterpretation in the sentences, then it would not be so, if somebody was writing this in a series of tweets, then at the end you would say, okay, the guy was lying. 
Um, but because of the way the sentences are phrased and because they're difficult to understand, you to go over and read it twice or thrice to understand what's going on. That's what gives it the kind of complexity and the layered texture, which I like. So it's again, it's not a book for everyone, but it's considered to be one of the greatest horror novels of all time. And it definitely, I mean, I loved it. I just loved it when I finished. It's, it's so rich in terms of like what exactly happened. It's not clear what exactly happened. And I heard two podcasts. There was only two podcasts that discussed the, the book and none of them um, I felt aligned with my interpretation of the book. Okay. Uh, we'll have a link to it since you mentioned that it's uh, available as a PDF uh, legally, I assume. Yes, yes, because it's all, it's off copyright, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Aarti wants suggestions for books on uh, parenting. I've never read a book on parenting, so I can't. I, I, Neither I, have I. <laughs> Neither I, have I. I. Yeah, yeah. It's the book of life. Uh, Sasamka wants uh, blog articles of books on security. Um, actually, I don't. I, there's nothing in terms of. Um, I mean, I do read read, read Krebs on security. So he's is this is again this is in anybody who's in security usually reads um, you know Krebs on security. So if if there's one thing that you should read, I would say it's Krebs on security. There is another guy who I cannot remember, but he is ah. Uh, he is a professor of cryptography at Johns Hopkins. Uh, hold, give me a second if I can get his name. But, you know, uh-huh. whenever he he writes, uh, okay, his name is Matthew Green. Yes, his name is Matthew Green and he has a blog. Uh, I hope this is, yes, it's called blog.cryptoengineering.com. Okay, so... For those of you who have some interest, again, I'm not saying this is for any lay person, but if you have some background in crypto, then this guy by far is the best writer on crypto that I have read online. You know, he writes, he writes the way I wish I could write on crypto. It's not that I can't write like him. I just don't know as much as him. <laughs> There's also a podcast called Security Now that I know of. Uh, I, mean, I don't subscribe to it, but yes, I, I know that this uh, Security Now, uh, which is on security uh brs i'm assuming that it doesn't stand for banking reconciliation statement uh brs asks uh, can you recommend some authors or books in humor genre similar to terry pratchett alexander mccall smith etc uh, so i can't th- see the funniest book that i have ha- i have in terms of Honestly, the book that whenever I read, it makes me laugh out loud, even though I've read so many times, is are the scripts of Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. So the <laughs> My dad has that, yeah. So Anthony Lynn and I've forgotten what the other guys are, two authors. So this, the script is actually different from the way it's actually in the TV series, it's slightly different. So they changed it when they were writing it in a book form, which of course makes sense. Um, it is un. I cannot tell you how funny it is. I mean, this is, I've read it so many times and every time I crack up, it is just, just brilliant, brilliant. And even if you watch it on a TV series, it's much better when you read it because some of the turn of phrases, 
you know, when that guy stops talking, for instance, when, for instance, Humphrey stops talking or whenever Bernard's going to say something and exactly what, you know, Humphrey says, it is so brilliant in terms of so understated the humor uh, that I just cannot, I just, you know, I read it and I think to myself, why can't I write like this? What I, I there are other things, you know, of course, the, what was uh, Alexander McCall? What was I read one? I I, I read he, one book. Yeah, I didn't quite. It, it didn't work for me. So most humor writers just don't work for me. It's just me. I somehow humor on print. I just don't get it unless it's that one book, which is genuinely funny. And yes, I do love in terms of Bengali. I do love uh, Parashuram's uh, humor. Uh, that's also that's, that's a Bengali thing. Is I do love uh-huh. his, his 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 written work. Um, they're 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 genuinely they're genuinely funny too. Uh, Suresh asks, uh, what is something you read in 2020 that you think is a must read for all? It could be an article, book, uh, or blog, or anything. So there was, so- I think it, I think I tweeted it. There was a New Yorker, there was a New Yorker article, I think New Yorker, which basically deconstructed the way the COVID, the, the COVID virus works. I thought that was the best thing I read this year. It was the, not just because this was something which has occupied a lot of my mind space, but I thought, thought the way that this article was written was just, just brilliant in terms of taking a very, very complicated, and it didn't baby foot around the complicated tough things. It just went straight for it, but it explained it very well. For me, I think the height of height of good writing is scientific writing because it's very, very difficult. This is possible that, you know, political writing, if you say Trump sucks, that's it. You can, you know, it's, these are cheap shots. The political writing is cheap shot. I do it myself and I know it's cheap shot. My Yogendra Yadav article, you know, is supremely, insanely popular and viral. Cheap right. shot. Very cheap shots. Uh, those are very easy to, it takes me, it took me like three minutes to write that. Okay. If you want, I can, you know, I, I can write those three minute things for virtually anybody. And I can make it, can make it hurt. Okay. If I want, but those are, again, those are, those are, those are, you, you don't want to look back at the end of your life and say, ah, this was the most popular thing I ever wrote about somebody else. <laughs> so that is to me, not, it may be popular writing, but it's not good writing. For me, good writing is taking something very, very difficult, very difficult to understand. So for instance, the things that I'm more proud of are of my own writing are, for instance, my series of articles on the housing crisis, if you remember, where I used Gunda to explain things. Right, yes. So here I'm taking something which is very difficult. At that point of time, there was not a lot of things written on it. Now it's been, you know, more than 12 years after that. So there's a lot of stuff which has been written on it, very good explainers, movies and stuff. But in those days, it was just happening. There was very little to explain it. And I had friggin' no clue. I didn't even know what a mutual fund was at that point of time. So I had to go around and study, 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 study. I even understand what a credit default swap was. I didn't even, I started reading about credit default swaps. I didn't even understand half the words they were using in the first five sentences. So I had to go back and like trace and find, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? Uh, didn't even know what a derivative was. So, you know, it. I had to learn a lot to write that stuff. So you, you might look at it and think, okay, this guy wrote a set of three posts. But it took me a, you know, almost, it took me a shitload of time to even get there to write that. And for me to 
then um the uh, the the piece that i just wrote on the bhagavad gita see those are the things which i am more proud of because what i'm doing is i'm and and i'm taking something which is very difficult and i'm putting it i'm simplifying it of course so of course it loses something when you simplify it it is not your, your the, the resolution basically decreases at that point of time it's not a 1080 but the fact is it's in a it's in a form which is digestible to a fairly wide audience and that to me is what i really really enjoy doing is to take something which is complicated not accessible maybe not even accessible to me initially to first digest it myself it takes a lot of time to do that and secondly is to make to have a coherent mind map of it and then you write it down only when you write it down do you truly understand what the thing is if you are able to write it down in a coherent cogent way and sometimes you read stuff and you realize that the guy who's writing it down doesn't understand what he is writing it's not that you're stupid that you can't understand what he's writing it's just that that guy also doesn't understand what he's writing and you can see it in the way you know he writes that's why i'm writing the cybersecurity textbook this is my attempt to do exactly that take an extremely complicated topic that you know an entire industry is struggling with use my experiences and try to come up with something which is digestible for again it, it, you do need to and, and and the book and the book very clearly has in the introduction it says if you don't know anything about cybersecurity read chapter 1 2 3 once you go to chapter 4 i expect that you have you know these things uh, i expect there are much better books for these things that i can ever write so i'm not going to even bother with them you first learn them and then come back and read the chapters so that's that's been the way i write books so i'm not trying to solve world hunger here there are much better books and nowadays who reads books anyways so there are things which are much better dealt with online there are much better articles on it online than i could ever write in a book but so what does the book do the book writes only that part which you cannot find online it's not there online now now a few years after the book maybe it will be but right now it isn't there so for me that kind of writing is very important and i like and i would like to do more of that kind of writing moving forward cheap short the mehap kind of writing the gunda writing that's why somebody said why don't you do a movie movie review like tried and refused productions dude those are cheap shots which i can take any point of time okay i know how to take those shots i know exactly what to say it's not a challenge to me anymore and i don't think they are works of any you know forget eternal but even you know for few years down the line they mean anything if i read my the stuff that i wrote on himesh which was insanely funny at this point of time now the thing is who is this guy okay talking about cheap shots i think the next question plays right in baba jatdari asks in your view what are your favorite ashutosh moments my favorite ashutosh moment is when he had that tweet on uh, uh, vidya balan's dirty picture that tweet is his that tweet is his best tweet okay i'm going to dig that up uh, okay now we, we've got questions about you as an author or as a, you know uh, i i hate using the phrase content creator but uh, yeah there it is kaizen moksha is asking is it more reading or more writing that helps you develop your style of humor so by the way that tweet that i'm talking about was november 16 2011 ashutosh says watch naughty interview with vidya balan <laughs> starting in dirty picture with me with what 
Yes, that's his English. Watch a naughty interview with Vidya Balan, comma, star, starring in dirty picture with me at IBM 7 at 11 p.m. <laughs> this is what happens when you put the clause at the wrong place. <laughs> okay, baby, I'm going to link to this. this could be, of course, this could be a this could be a Freudian slip. I understand that, but still. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So going back to uh, the question, Kaizen Moksha is asking, uh, is it more reading or more writing that helps develop your humor? Um, can you repeat that again? I'm sorry. Uh, Kaizen Moksha asks, uh, is it reading or writing that helps develop your style of humor? Um, definitely writing. I mean, you can consume. See, the thing about humor is it's like any see, humor, horror, all of these depend on a sudden insight on the part of your reader. It, it, there's no conscious, like you start, you know, you laugh because you laugh. There's, there's nobody can make you laugh. Nobody can make you scared. So this, these things only come from writing. You know, you, you write, you think, you see things which work, things which don't work. And that's how you get better with reading. It's, it's a much more passive thing. And, and with reading, you only, your focus is what makes me laugh. With writing, it's what makes other people laugh. That, that's the, that, 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 and I'm not saying that, that the other thing isn't important because you know, ultimately you live for yourself and you know everybody doesn't need to write. You don't need to make other people laugh, but you definitely should laugh yourself. So for most people, perhaps reading is more important. But for me, since I am a quote-unquote content creator, writing is more important. Okay, and uh, Samarpan Dutta writes, I, I love this question. If you could give a fictional character a new character arc, which one would you pick? Uh, any character that you felt didn't get their due? So, um, okay, let's give me a second because I'm just missing the... So this is a difficult question and, and you, you can you can go on about this, but let's talk. And maybe I may, might have mentioned this before in my podcast, but I'll still mention it because I feel it's very dramatic. The, the movie, the, the thing that I would have loved to read it is Rabne Banadi Jodi. What? Okay. I didn't expect that. So Rabne Banadi Jodi has at its heart an extremely, like if, if, if the writers of Pixar had gotten this idea, Okay, they would have made something totally wow out of it. Of course, it's a crappy movie, but it's a movie which comes very close, I would say, very close to being very good. It just, of course, there's of course, there's there's a lot of things which are making it bad. But let's just talk about what I believe the core of Rabde Banadi Jori was. I, I'm pretty sure they didn't think of it this way. The core of the movie, in my opinion, if this is what I would have done if I had if I was part of the creative team, is to basically harp on the fact that you have a person. So if you remember, you have the Shah Rukh Khan character who, who actually, because Anushka Sharma doesn't see him, that there is actually two parts of him. He is actually that cavalier person who is the guy who dances. But since she doesn't like him, she sees him as a projection of this person who she despises which is this very staid, you know, government clerk. So he is actually both. So rather than, and I think it comes close to that, that 
it just doesn't hammer that in to the right extent. That what if I was rewriting that story, if I had that story, if I had that idea myself, what I would do is more make rather than that person changing, you know, and that's hilarious, of course, that you can't recognize the guy just because he removes the mustache. That's the Hindi movie thing. But the fact is that Anushka Sharma never actually properly looks at him at all, even once. In the sense she sees him, but she doesn't really see him from the inside. That she doesn't really, she, he's, he's, there's no mental model of him inside her. And so when he comes as a separate person who is actually the person and she doesn't, it's not burdened by her, oh, I was forced into this marriage with this person. It comes across as somebody else. She then sees him for the person that he is. So it's basically the same person. But it's just packaged in a different way. She sees it in a different store. And that's why she falls in love or, you know, whatever with that person. And she can't because it's the same person, but that person is presented to her in a totally different way, in a totally different context with a different history. That, I think, was a fascinating thing, which I would have definitely hammered on and made the story go into that. That's the answer to this question. And I'm pretty sure you were not expecting that. I didn't. I didn't. And I'm still digesting the fact that you actually picked this. <laughs> okay. So I, I don't, I can't read this uh, handle. Soar A B C H T asks, uh, this is related to the web series Cam 1992. What did you think of the tussle between Harshad Mehta and Sucheta Dalal and your take on Harshad Mehta's character? Oh, I felt it was very well acted. I really loved the acting. And I think it comes across, the Harshad Mehta's character comes across very similar to, you know, the Ambani character in, in Guru in the sense that, you know, this is a person who's, 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 who's essentially, he's a, he's a, he's a lovable crook. Um, he's, he's a crook and the, there's the scandal, the scam isn't the fact that he's, that he is doing this. The scam is the fact that this system exists in order for other people to do it. That's what, again, Harshad Mehta says, and he's right that this system has been used by other people that it was not a problem before. It's when I start using it, then that people start having a problem with it. So the scam, the real scam, again, that's why I like the name scam, is it doesn't really say what the scam is. Is the scam Harshad Mehta or is the scam the system that allows him to do what he does? Um, with respect to the Sucheta Dalal, I, I haven't read a book, so I don't know if that was fictitious or not whether they actually met like that or whether that was the actual interaction they had or this was just a dramatization for the purpose of the web series. So I really can't comment on that. Uh-huh. But in terms of but in terms of the you know the, the TV series, as I said, it possibly it not possibly it is the best web series that's been made for India. It's a pity that it's not neither on Netflix nor on, on Amazon Prime, which just goes to show you know the kind of people who sit there. It was not made by Karan Johar, so it can't be. It was not made by Karan Johar. It was not made by people from Phantom. So obviously, uh, uh, that's where it landed up on Sony Live. Vikash Jhamb asks, uh, have you watched Andhagaram? If yes, did you like it? No, I haven't watched it. And uh, Saurav Ghosh asks, any possibility of a cybercrime thriller from you? Um, uh, Kind of. um, I, I mean, Sultan of Delhi 2 does have uh, some uh, let's just say uh, without getting into too many spoilers, but it does have some aspects of cybercrime in it. Uh, does it take a time jump? Or, uh, what? Yes. 
So oh. Thunder Delhi Part Two is set in uh, 20, uh, 2016, 2017. Okay, okay, makes more sense then. Uh, Sandeepan Mitra asks if you can divulge one thing about the Mahabharata murders web series. What what would it be? Um, I can't really, and it's not because I really don't know uh, what's happening to it. Uh, because you see, the way it works is that um, once you sign off off your rights once somebody buys off your rights there 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 are two kinds of instruments of one is an option an option is um that the studio decides that they will essentially hold your uh, script and you can't send it to somebody else so they will pay you an annual fee but that doesn't mean they're making it so you still at that point of time you nominally have some kind of control still so it's kind of renewable of course you know they normally put in the contract that you'll have to renew it but it, technically you can decide that no i'm not going to renew it with you anymore you could technically take that call now but once you sell something which is what i have done for mahabharat which is actually give them the rights you you, you have basically you it's like you know you had your car you sold it to somebody else now you don't know where they driving the car where the car is has been broken up into parts so it does you have no idea so that's really what it is and this is true for anybody so i do get to hear some things from time to time but there's really no obligation on their part to keep me in the loop in in any shape or form that's normally not right. again if i was a, if I, again it's again once you start selling i mean is this the same way that for instance jk rowling would perhaps do you know it's not <laughs> but, but of course i'm right. jk rowling uh so so that that's just the way that's just the way it is so honestly i do not know what is what is going on with mahabharat murders who is making it uh, when is it coming out or the cast i really don't know and the honest answer is even if i did know i wouldn't be able to tell so that's also part of the and def- i cannot say anything unless they because i don't own it right so it's yes. their stuff so they will have to whenever they want to divulge they will divulge i'll obviously publicize it when they divulge Def eight two one four asks uh, about your thoughts on Google's one hour downtime earlier this month. Did they have it? I've totally forgotten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, across all services, Google, YouTube, uh, everything was uh, down, and it happened at the same day as the solar wind uh, thing. So uh, there is also one conspiracy theory that maybe there was some of that code across Google system, and uh, they t- brought it down to clean up. Uh, direct but I, i honestly didn't face any downtime though maybe i didn't use no, it i did i did i did i did face downtime so yeah I, i i i can't comment i haven't heard again i i haven't heard about this and i haven't heard any kind of credible there's no credible articles written that this was had anything to do with solar winds so okay uh, vivek poddar asks how do you and uh, how do you and vikram do a typical episode how much of it is planned and unplanned so most of it is unplanned um in terms of i have absolutely no script sometimes we might discuss these are the topics that we intend to do I actually like it for it to be more spontaneous rather than it be scripted first but it started out quite scripted right i mean the first few episodes we had i mean i wouldn't say scripted but at least it was uh you you had planned it down a bit more and as as you went on i think it's become uh, more uh, un- more yeah, and more I, I, before i used to write them show notes and sometimes even now i do if it's a very complicated topic that i want to make sure that i get in the right order 
But if it's something like cricket or something, I don't. I just wing it. Everything you hear, including the arms and okay, everything is because I am actually pausing to think as to what I'm going to say next. And this just, actually works yeah. fine for me because I, yes. I, I prefer it to be conversational. I prefer it for you to feel as if you're talking to me, other than me just reading off a script. But then, uh, then I might as well write it and just show it to you. Right? Why? Why would exactly, you want exactly? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. I mean, it's. This is. This is not one nine hundred hotties that you are going to <laughs> to, to, to my voice. So yeah. Uh, how the okay? This is again uh, in the continuing with weird uh, handles. TMK DDB asks, how would your YouTube channel be different from the podcast? If you switch over to YouTube, would you continue to post audio for the podcast audience? So again, I haven't thought. Uh, I haven't thought of how I'm going to do things. Uh, the first thing that I want to do is I want to take my Gita uh, analysis. I want to kind of read it out on video. And again, why would you want to hear it on video? It, because you know, it seems that apparently there's. And so what I'm trying to see is if there is is there a new crowd that will listen to stuff just because they can see me saying it, or is it going to be the same guys who, in any case, you know, listening to the podcast or you know, reading my stuff? If it is, then there is no need for a video chat. Uh, there is no reason why I should have a video chat. But if there's a significant number of people who look at me and say, "Wow, this is like a '90s version of Dhruv Rathi," I like what he's saying. He's so. I mean, I've seen an octagonal face. Now let's see a round face. Now, if that is the case, then of course um, this this will be something which I will sustain. I will. I'll, I'll see. And again, YouTube views are very you know trackable. They're very very good analytics platform so I'll, i want to see whether that is actually expanding my base if it's the same thing same people listening to it then who cares i mean we tried to upload our uh you know for instance our podcast to youtube very few views there was nothing going on there which was any significantly anything different so we just stopped doing it and so even with the podcast and and i'm not going to again i'm not going to i'm not going to try to compete with tried and refused productions or anybody else um i'm not very motivated in for hindi movies or anything of that sort um i just feel that that kind of content is um I, for various reasons i don't think i'm the person at this at this age uh, who should be doing that kind of content anymore i just feel that my time with that content is over so i'm not going to be doing that kind of content at all okay i, I think that's a wrap you've uh, taken uh, answered uh pretty much, yeah you answered everything so the I that's our episode where there were some questions that were asked today did you collect them uh pa, 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 let me just check i did everything till 10 minutes before our uh, start because i remember there were some other questions like i remember there was a question on how come russia china and other never accuse us of hacking into their systems actually i'm reading it right now so there was a question from rock rider which says how come russia china and others never accuse us of hacking into their systems that never happens is it only <laughs> one way or those countries just keep quiet and work on counter attacks any idea when was the first big country to country cyber attack so the first major country to country cyber attack that we know of was stuxnet um that was essentially So Stuxnet was again reportedly a, a U.S.-Israeli combination to take down Iran's nuclear centrifuge, and that was, I would say, the mo- most publicized. I'm pretty sure it, you know other stuff has happened before that we will never get to know. But that was really the first uh, major. It got a lot of uh, you know airtime in 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 news media. 
Um, and I don't think the US or Israel ever formally even denied that they had something to do with it. Any case, so the, the question is interesting. How come Russia, China and other never accuse the US of hacking into systems? I think they do actually. Um, second is you have to understand that the way the countries work are very different. So Russia and China and all these countries, which are essentially quasi, quasi-fascist quasi dictatorships, they don't have the level of, uh, you know, they don't have the level of government oversight and the level of, you know, they're not, they don't have to follow any laws, essentially. And much of this is based on cybercrime. This is not just warfare. This is, there is, so there's often, there is this um, misunderstanding that, that these are like really smart people sitting across the continents on like super geniuses sitting there. And you know, that Russian guy, Najim Bond, says, I am invincible. So no, this is not the way cyber warfare works. If you look at, you know, it's not people basically intel- using their intellectual might to overpower somebody else. This is the romantic view of what hacking and cyber warfare is. Most of the time, this is a part of espionage. So this is a part of somebody has to, so for instance, in Stuxnet, yeah, sure, there was a there was an intellectual part of Stuxnet, but ultimately some the Israelis or the Americans had some kind of asset who went in and stuck an USB key into a very restricted network on the in 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 the in the nuclear infrastructure that Iran had. So that last mile guy was the main guy, right? Everything else is okay, but that's the main guy. So with respect to uh, Russia and China, they have, uh, you know, the, the connection with cyber criminals and the connection is much, it's something which can totally fly under the radar there. They have no oversight. I'm not saying the US has a lot of oversight. You know, they, they do have ways of hiding things, but it's still, there's still a lot of congressional, congress, congressional oversight. And you have to understand that while that while these countries can utilize the fact that um, that the other country is a democracy. So the moment you're a democracy, you, ha- you start off fighting this war in an asymmetric way. Because you see, for instance, in India, just look at it in India. In India, anything happens, you have people attacking the government. In Pakistan, that never happens, right? Because Pakistan isn't right. a democracy. So... In, in any country, there are there are people who use the Indian democracy. There are people, and it's very obvious that there are sections of Pakistan uses the Indian democracy against itself. Similarly, the exact same thing happens to US. And again, Russia and China are immune to that because they don't have to pretend to be a democracy. They're not democracies. You know, one is an oligarchy and one is, well, one is a communist state. So the US cannot, for various reasons, undertake operations to that level because of essentially democracy. All it needs to happen is for something to leak out and that to make it to the New York Times. The New York Times is going to carry it. Okay, Unlike Pravda or unlike South China Post, who are not going to carry it, they're going to carry it. They're going to carry it with names and say, oh, failed U.S. operation on, you know, to do, do, do this, blah, 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 China foil, blah, blah. They're going to carry it. Those guys are not going to do it. Their media is not going to do it. If they've told they have a media, RT is not going to carry the story. So this is an asymmetric warfare. So that's why you don't hear it like that, because, you know, it's not, it's not apples to apples here. I'm sure the U.S. does. But I'm pretty sure that the level at which they can do is much, 
is much more muted than what China and Russia can do. Now, yeah, the U.S. has like, you, see, you know, you're going you to say, what, seriously, the CIA hasn't done this, the CIA, yes, in times before, not anymore. It, over the years, the, you know, because of the way the country has progressed, it's become increasingly difficult to do the kind of CIA covert ops or to do what, let's say, the CIA did to Iran under Mossadegh. You know, it's very difficult for them to do that anymore. Um, this is not the 80s anymore. So, yes, the U.S. does. I mean, the U.S. does publicly have, I mean, they do claim that they have an offensive capability. But ultimately, you would possibly have the U.S. working more through its proxies like Israel, which do not have that level of oversight. So they would rather outsource those elements to Israel than do it themselves. While China and Russia don't need to do it at all. China, Russia, North Korea. These are the three major you know, state actors when it comes to uh-huh. cybersecurity. Uh, Hastar asks, uh, who should captain Indian cricket team in test ODI T20? Um, I think with uh, T20, it should definitely. So first of all, Vidat Kohli should not be a captain in any of the in any of the media, in any of the uh, you know the types of cricket that we play this is number my number one controversial contention um i think in t20 rohit sharma should be the captain uh, because just because he's an automatic selection um i think in one day's rohit sharma should be the captain also um again this is because perhaps i'm a bit, little bit biased towards batsmen but I think Bumrah should, um, I mean, I don't think there's any reason why Bumrah shouldn't also be considered. I think it's it's sad that we kind of overlook the bowlers. But if you if you look through the one-day side and if I would say, who's the most valuable guy, I would still, you know, Rohit Sharma, Kohli and Bumrah. I don't think you can choose between any of the three. So I don't know why Bumrah shouldn't seriously be considered to be a captaincy contender. Um, I would definitely, would definitely, and, and I think this was, Kind of sad that it happened to Kumble that nobody ever considered him seriously after they only looked at him after all of the other guys had kind of retired. So um, and that was that was unfair on him. I think it was unfair on Zahid Khan. So I think these were all very good captaincy material that you know they just were not considered to be captains because they were bowlers. So I don't want that to happen to Bumrah. So I think Bumrah should, and I like Bumrah. I think he's a very sunny guy. He's always smiling. Um, he, you know, even when catches are dropped or stuff, he doesn't take it. He doesn't take it to heart. Which, as I said, this is the number one thing that I want to look in a captain. I want to see a guy who's who's in control. And that's why I never considered Gambhir to be a great captain either, even though he won two tournaments for KKR. He's 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 no different from K from Kohli. You know, he's just just looks so, like he's ready for a street fight. And for the test, you know, we've seen who the captain is. You know, the guy who just scored a century, Ajinkya Rahane, in test matches. And I don't think there's any better captain than him at this point of time for test matches. Doesn't make him the best test batsman. It's still uh, still Virat Kohli. But, you know, Sachin Tendulkar was the best uh, batsman in the side for many years, in which he wasn't the captain. I think he was a terrible captain when he played, when he, when he, when he became the captain for very different reasons than Kohli was. If he had his other... He, Tendulkar doesn't have this problem. He had other problems, but you know it doesn't necessarily mean that. And this is it's also true in corporate in in the corporate world. You know the guy who is the manager or the, the the VP or the director or whatever. He's not necessarily the smartest guy in the company. He's not. And unfortunately, sometimes it happens that the smartest guys feel pissed off that you know I'm the smartest guy in this room and I'm not this guy. And that's true. Unfortunately, you cannot make sometimes. I mean, some smart guys could be. You know, a Sundar Pichai, there is Sundar Pichai. He's just 
people throughout his life have said he's always been the smartest guy in the room and you know he's he's the ceo now that's you know good happy convergence of both but in many cases that is not the case and the smartest guy does not necessarily make the best leader and i think in the case of kohli he's been given his chance and he's he's a terrible leader i think he he's a you know he's he's a he's a poor ambassador for the game he's he, in 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 every respect um and what he shows to you know young people playing the game any you know young boys and girls playing the game i mean they, who do they look up to they look up to the captain this is you know we 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 kind of tend to often trivialize this whole thing that you know who cares how kohli is no it does people actually learning about the game by watching these cricketers these cricketers are copied i know because i was a i was a young boy at one point of time and yes you do copy the way these people play you do copy the way they come across you do copy these are you know this is the kohli isn't affecting me at this point of time i'm not going to change watching what kohli but if you have a 10 year old 11 year old 12 year old boy or girl who's watching the game this is what they imbibe this is what they think that life is all about they think life is about staring the other guy down running up to them getting into their face for no good reason i mean the first time you realize something was wrong was when kohli scored a century and started shouting mcbc like who are you shouting at that in what's your problem you just scored a century against who are you shouting it's 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 this kind of super aggression that he feeds off that he uses in a very and i don't care what he does if he's again he's an individual contributor if you know if if saying that helps him perform that's fine but the fact is when you put that person on a pedestal when you say look this is a person is a role model and a captain isn't just a captain in terms of the games he wins he is a, that person is a role model for young people in this country he's no role model he's no role model nor is the coach any role model and this is something which i again the bcci is too concerned about money to care but you know this is you know sort of gangli this is not doing any good to the game by letting uh, virat kohli continue as a captain and you know it's not as i think i won't repeat but the entire episode with anil kumble that you know this lack of deference to authority right. this refusal to i mean this is what this is what a generation is growing up seeing they're seeing this is what works that that's what you see people don't you know that generation you just can't tell people look you know you should never you know you should, you should respect authority you should you should listen to people it's not a question of i can say whatever you that you're not going to listen you see you see this thing and it you see that it works you see this guy is still the captain and this burns itself inside even without you knowing you become that person this is a positive role model there's nobody see this is the reason why when heroes do something terrible in a hindi movie that's a bad thing see villain doing it the villain is a villain you instantly know this is bad this is a bad this is a bad behavior whatever shakti kapoor does whatever ranjit does it's bad behavior you know that that's part of the rules but when the good guy does it that's a problem again with movies i would still say you know what if the movie is something which is off then it's your parents responsibility to make sure that your kids don't see it but sport is not that i don't want to have to you know have a rating on a sports game 
I don't want Indian as I, I saw at Hotstar, Indian game was UA. And this was this wow. yeah, so this was this was interesting. <laughs> this was interesting. I don't want you know cricket to become an R rated thing. Just because this one guy is the captain, but it should be at this point of time. There isn't definitely need for parental discretion at this point of time when Kohli takes the field. And I just don't want cricket to be like that. This is, this is very different from Ganguly's aggressiveness or anything. You know, it's one thing taking off your shirt after the game is there. And even then, Ganguly has repeatedly said that he shouldn't have done it. He regrets having done that. Kohli has never once said he regrets having done anything that he's ever done. And it's just terrible when he's like... During that World Cup game where that Bangladesh, where the, one of the Bangladeshi players was it Rubel, Rubel or some one of those guys, he bowls to bowls and uh, you know, Kohli, Kohli says, you know, Jake Balkar or something he says to him, um, and that's where you know the animosity with Bangladesh and it starts. I mean, he just gets, he just you know, just creates. And I just think that, that that negative energy he brings, and I I definitely respect him as a batsman and everything. This is not a this is not an indictment of who he is as a cricketer, but as a leader. Do you want to take the other ones from uh, on Twitter? That there, so there's a question on from uh, uh, so Ram Rajvi Pargi asks: With age, as your cynicism is evidently rising, do you feel maintaining your objectivity is becoming a burden? Do you earn for a stronger bully pulpit from which you can disseminate subjective judgments, which in your view don't require objective scrutiny? I don't think I understood the question. Um, I don't see how with cynicism right rising. Why I wh- how is that correlated with my objectivity becoming a burden? Um, if if the question essentially is is do I feel the need to take sides in order to increase my uh, reach? If that is the essence of this question, which it might not be, but I'm interpreting that is the essence of this question. The answer is sure the. The temptation is there, but of course, I, there are some things that I have to live by. Otherwise, as I've said multiple times before, I cease to be me. So I don't want to compromise on what I believe in. I will not take, I will not say something on this podcast or write something which I don't believe in. But I'm saying just because I believe that that will um, get me either the attention of somebody I'm trying to please or that it will get me widespread approbation or it will become viral. I just cannot, I just cannot, I, I live with a lot of compromises that I have to make in order to earn my living, but I don't earn my living through this. This is still remains my hobby. And because it is my hobby, there are some lines that I will never cross. And one is I'll never say something which I don't believe in, ever, no matter what. There's some things which I won't say, that's true. There's some things I won't say because I'm scared of um, the fallout of some some things. So, but if I say something, uh, you trust me. I believe in that, and I'm saying it because I sincerely believe in that, and I have no ulterior motive in behind saying it. Nobody's paid me. Um, I'm not trying to please anybody, and I'm not trying to increase my audience or get a bully pulpit. Um, there's another again a question which was on um, how do you balance your work and your interests? Is a question I get every time um, from Avijit Das. Your work yeah. on cybersecurity, tweets, blogs, writing, teaching your daughter sounds handful. What are the tips you wish to share? You had an episode on time management, though. Yes, I have an episode on time management which I encourage you to you know 
to listen if you haven't listened to it, which where I explicitly spend a lot of time going into how I manage time. Uh, Tenet, have you watched Tenet? No, I haven't watched Tenet. I will watch Tenet after it's available for rent. Right now, you have to buy it, and I'm I'm not looking forward to paying twenty twenty two twenty two bucks to watch uh, to pay for and own Tenet. I mean, the reviews I've read are so terrible that I'm not going to. That's that's is a little bit too much. Um, I'll wait till I can get it for like four bucks. And uh, Weed Energy asks. Uh, why is there such a huge brain exodus from bengal every year do you think given the right opportunity people should return to cal would you this you have answered uh, in various uh, yeah yeah you know i've answered many times that there is uh, I, I mean i wouldn't i mean i, w- I mean yeah no I, I wouldn't go back to bengal i i cannot because of it's not just a question of it's a question of uh, the level of um intimate it's not just a question of lack of opportunities see in bengal in calcutta there is there is the trinamool congress government and this is perhaps this started so let's let's spend two minutes on this so during the left front government under jyoti basu pretty much everybody in the in calcutta was screwed it was a it was a place of untold misery but nobody it was such a dysfunctional place that other than perhaps jyoti basu and his son there was really and again perhaps 10 or 20 other people there was really nobody was having it good nobody you did, no matter how rich you were how poor you were it was the great thing about communists is they are very they're very good at fucking it up for everybody um that's their unique trait so the difference between communism and crony capitalism is which is and the trinomol is at least some people are making money at least some people are having it good and calcutta now has a overclass of people who have benefited from trinomol congresses rule so there are certain places and of course in order to do that they these this is obviously a mutual back scratching thing um so that 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 exists now i again i cannot operate Um, and one of the problems with calcutta is that this circle is very small also so everybody knows each other by name so if you don't scratch the backs you know it's everybody knows that you're not scratching the back okay so in calcutta there is no way there is no way that creatively i can survive in calcutta without uh, you know kneeling down and uh, you know and 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 becoming a trinamool congress person myself there is no there is no other way um or let's say if the bjp comes to power i don't think there will be any different it will be like go and kiss the ring of the bjp so neither of the things neither of these two things appeal to me and and something which i cannot do and in general why people don't stay in calcutta well i think things in calcutta are better than they were in let's say 2001 or 2002 i think it started with buddhadev das buddhadev and it continued it's continued to an extent we we have to you know give credit where it's due to mamata banerjee they have definitely done some good things in calcutta i could say anybody would have done them but that's you know we don't have a control group so we will never know but of course mamata banerjee of course as a chief minister is like still light years better than jyoti basu again it's not saying much because jyoti basu was absolute dredge when it comes to like you know a leader I mean, he was pretty much the worst worst um humanoid 
that I can think of. <laughs> uh, so with uh, with Mamata Banerjee, still a lot better, still a lot better um, than Jyoti Basu. Um, I would still put, I would still consider, um, you know, Buddha to be a much better chief minister, much better human being than than Mamata Banerjee. Just just a better person. Um, with respect to how 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 effective they have been, yeah, Buddha's problem was that he still had to operate within the within the structure of the Communist Party of India, and you know that kind of reduced his efficacy. But he was an honest, he was a very personally honest man who tried his best for for whatever he could do in whatever limited way he could do. And you know he's if you if you if you look at the you know where he stays and you know if you, you, know, you see that you know this guy obviously made nothing out of being i mean if you look at him if you he's a he was a chief minister of a major state and if you look at the way he lives his life now after you know after the cameras are gone and everything so you can say well now that the cameras are gone that's when he'll bring out the wards of cash from beneath his bed but no there is none for those of those of us who keep it as who, who know we know you know exactly how he lives and you know, it's it's a person who's definitely definitely maintained extreme high standards of probity in in, in public life. You may not agree with what he believed in, but, you know, he was, he was honest and upright man. And in this day and age, you have to doff your cap to that. So I respect him a lot. And, uh, and, and he tried to do a lot of things. I think he, he inherited, you know, the, 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 the what he inherited from Jyoti Basu and from where he took it to where he, you know, when Mamadha Banji, Mamadha Banji got a much better state. Than what uh, than what Buddha they've got. So he was that way. I think he 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 is. I and mean, people say Bidhan Chandra Bidhan Chandra Rai was Bengal's best chief minister, but I've never seen him. So I will I will go with of the three that I have seen, he was for by far the best. By far the best. But I don't still coming back to the question. I don't think I can operate within Bengal at this point of time. I don't think I can ever uh, because one another thing about Bengal politics is that I don't know how it is in other states, but it's extremely. It's extremely violent in Bengal. Um, if you go outside Calcutta, the violence is palpable, as in it's it's physical violence. Even in Calcutta, it is there is there is this undertone of it, but then there is this whole notion of being, you know, cancelled. Um, this is exactly what the CPM government used to do. Uh, there is, as I've pointed out, there's a movie called Atomko, which is possibly uh, which means terror, which is which perhaps captures perfectly what Jyoti Basu's Bengal was, Calcutta was, in terms of the terror that the Communist Party of India actually had on its common people. And this was, again, the, 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 the blueprint came from East Europe and from Russia. So this was not something which they came up with. This is exactly the way any communist state is. Um, and so when, when, when I, that's why if, if there's any, um, any political prejudice that I have is is my firm, strong anti-communist stance because I've seen it. And as, as I've said, another colleague of mine uh, who's from Poland uh, said that the thing, the common thing about everybody who loves socialism and communism is that none of them grew up in one of these countries. As you will see that. None of them have seen it. Uh, anybody who's seen it even a few years of it, they'll never, they'll never ever be pro-socialism or pro-communism. You cannot find one. Um, you just have to live in it for a few years to know what it is. On book, 
And as an idea, it sounds great. Stay in it and you'll realize what it is. And I agree with him 100%. I mean, I haven't lived in Poland. He lived in Poland. So, of course, he lived in a much more extreme version of what I went through. But um, it, this, is, this is not something you want to be part of. And it's this, it is, is destroyed the state for decades. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's something which my generation will never be able to fix it. It will take, like, I don't know how many generations for it to be fixed, if it can be fixed at all. So it looks like you have answered even the ones on Twitter now. Okay. I, I'm just going through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a wrap. And uh, that's our episode for today. And how, and okay, that's fine. Yeah, this, this is good, good answering. I was glad we could get to all the questions. Yes, even the ones which you didn't want to get to. But <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we did. Uh, so we hope you enjoyed this one. And uh, like I said, we'll be on a short break and we'll be back soon in the new year. And uh, in the meantime, wish you a very, very happy new year and wishing Arnab a very happy birthday. Thanks, thanks, thanks a lot. Oh,